part of the training, one of the guys we train with, uh, he's very successful, multiple VCs. What, one of his sayings is, I hear it all the time, is my dog is never evered until it's never be ever before like it's ever going to again. And it's if you don't put the dog in a situation, you can't make any corrections. The dog can't learn. Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step -step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode presented by Standing Stone Supply. I am joined this week by my with my buddy uh, Dale Balliard. We are going to discuss the uh, impending doom known as the utility test, the NAVDA utility test, and, and where Dale stands on it headed into his uh, test. And then we're going to circle back and do this again once after the test to kind of give uh, the recap and whether it lived up to all of his hype and uh, anxiety and expectations and all that fun stuff. So, Dale, I appreciate you coming on and kind of uh, being the guinea pig on this kind of first before and after a test type of episode. Yep, not a problem, man. Well, you're podcast, so I'm happy to do it. Yeah, well, I thought it'd be kind of fun. You know, this is something to where, as you know, you you have tested it within NAVDA before. This isn't your first test, but I think it is worth noting that a lot of people that get into the world uh, or or sign up for their first test, it, it can be kind of a roller coaster of emotions, whether, you know, are you prepared for it or your dog's prepared for it? Am I going to look like an idiot or, you know, all, all of these kind of compounding emotions. And so I thought it would be a fun perspective to get somebody such as yourself that you, I think you're a week and a half or so away from the test currently. And let's talk about where your mind is in regards to where your dog is now, what you're worried about, what you think the dog's going to mess up on. And then let's contrast that against what he actually screwed up on during test day, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So to start, uh, I get crazy test anxiety. I am a mess. So my wife is actually going to run our dog in its tests in 11 days. Oh, so you're not even going to be the handler in the test then? No, she is going to take it over. Uh, she ran our dog in the NA test in the spring, really enjoyed it, and decided she wanted to run utility. And I enjoy the training and everything else, and the test is, I'm just more than happy to let her take that over. What What do you think it is about the actual test? Because you're not the only person I've talked to that gets such... I don't know if the word severe, but extreme cases of like anxiety when it comes to this event. 
that some people, just like you you mentioned, will kind of hand it off to somebody that's just more more aligned with it. Like you said, you enjoy the process and the preparation, but for whatever reason, on test day, it's just kind of like they're just a, a nervous wreck. Honestly, for me, I think it's a little bit of you kind of relinquish some control. You know, there is no e-collar. You know, you do get judged for extra commands. So that kind of thing is, you know, I... You know, they say, talk to your dog, run it like you're in a hunt. I do not run a test like I'm in a hunt. There, there's <laughs> no way, shape, or form. I call my dog's names. I curse. I'm an idiot. I'm making fun of my friends. That doesn't happen in a test. So there's, it's almost like a professional setting. And it kind of takes me out of my element. And I'm not a fan of that. And I mean, it, this is more so than, as you alluded to, this is, it's an anxiety thing to where it's just like the the way you run your dog in the actual field is not, is not a way that you can run your dog and find success in the testing field. Do, have you given any consideration or thought to the possibility of trying to work on that to where like maybe the, your style of hunt does reflect more in line with how a handler is supposed to handle the dog in the, in the actual testing environment. No, <laughs> and it's, I understand the reasoning for why they want certain things the way they are in a test. But for me, the hunt is, it's kind of like therapy. I'm not going to change something I enjoy to such an extent that I've grown up with to reflect the test. Like if I shoot a grouse and my dog grabs it and brings it back and drops it at my feet, I don't care. The bird is right there. I know where it's at. She didn't leave the game 60 yards out there where I can't find it. So it doesn't bother me. If she breaks it, the shot again, she's I'm okay with that. She's safe. The bird's gone. When she breaks, she's not in the line of fire. So things like that, I like the utility test because I know that when I go into the hunt situation, if I've trained the dog to be steady to the release, to retrieve the hand, to have such a, it's not even really that much of a rigid heel, but if she regresses, she's still well above what I want out of my hunting dog and still a well-trained dog and still a well-trained hunting dog. And I do this for hunting and not for testing. I just enjoy the people and NAVDA and everything else. And like you said, while while this isn't exactly what you're after technically in the hunting field, you still understand that the skill set that it goes into a utility test, if you actually train it and approach it the correct way, is going to give you a dog that exceeds what you require in the hunting field. And that and that's probably why you find value in even going through the effort to prepare for a test that you're not even that, it's not that big of a priority for you. Right. So that that's really interesting. Have you, how many tests have you personally run yourself before you finally just realize like, hey, th- this just isn't really my my thing. I'm gonna, I want to prepare for it. I want the skill set, but I'm going to let my wife or, or somebody else have the fun of handling the dog on the test day. So we have a uh, almost six-year-old large monster lander. I ran her through NA, VHDF, AHA, and NAVDA utility. Okay. And then our current younger large monster lander, who she'll be 18 months old in roughly about a week. She, I ran her in her NA at six months old. 
And then she got a prize three there. My wife decided she wanted to run her in the NA in the spring because she was still eligible. And I was just already training for utility. So I said, if you want to do it, feel free. It isn't going to take anything away from what we're doing. So go ahead. And what was the result of the rerun in the NA test? Uh, 112. All right. So that's why you're going to have your wife run the utility test for you then. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, so real quick, before we kind of jump into the each section and how the preparation and, and the where we're currently at heading into the test, you, you mentioned you have two large Munsterlanders. That's not the most common breed or, or what, you know, everybody's probably mostly accustomed to in the, in the NAVDA testing scene. Why a large Munsterlander? And then why, why a second one? So to make a long story short, I grew up with setters, uh, always hunted with setters. My first personal and second personal dog were setters. Um, I got more into waterfowl hunting, not really a setter, too much of a setter ordeal there. Uh, I had retired my first dog. She was 12 or 13. I was spending a lot more time with friends in the wetlands. Started looking at the lab. My wife put her foot down, said no labs in this house. <laughs> and it was, you know, it wasn't really that much. It wasn't even an argument. I just said, okay, fair enough. And she really enjoyed our setters. She said, I want a dog like a setter. And I looked at small monster landers first. They were a bit more common at the time. Um, I talked to a couple breeders. I did a lot of goose hunting and they're like, well, you know, you're looking at a small dog and a goose retrieve on, on a field hunt is a struggle. Yeah, they'll, they'll do it, but it's not going to be the most efficient retrieve for sure. Right. And so I talked to a few breeders of large Munsterlanders. I had originally had a uh, deposit down on a large Munsterlander. Ooh, when I, oh, 20 years ago, 23 years ago, something like that. And a breeding fell through, and that's when I ended up getting my first personal setter. So I fell back on them, talked to breeders. They did everything I wanted to do. They met what my wife wanted to see out of the dog that I brought into the house. And so that's, we had a local breeder who's maybe 40 minutes away. It all just fell into place. And so you doing the, the testing program and even not even just testing, but even finding the right litter and, and the right puppy uh, in the more esoteric or, or rare breeds can be challenging in of itself and then you you know oh, and sure. then you know when you do get into the testing thing you could argue that it means even that much more within that breed because you don't have such a wide genetic pool uh or or representatives of the breed or or just past testing experience and results to kind of fall back on and see you're, you're operating within a much smaller pool, so to speak. And so how much of that do you think has impacted your, your testing career, if you want to call it that since getting your large Munstie? It, it Honestly, it's had a large impact. Um, my first LM, she ended up being a wonderful dog in uh, grouse woods. I did not see, because like you said, they're fairly rare-ish. So I was not seeing much or being able to contact a whole lot of people who grouse hunted with them. There are plenty of breeders and people who own dogs in the Midwest. And there's I was having a hard time finding people who were grouse hunting their dogs. A lot of people were going out west or just using them for waterfowl. And I thought she would have been a great breeder to put out some good genetics for the type of grouse hunting that we do here. Um, didn't work out. She got Pio. And when we, you know, 
ended up getting this new one. I was like, well, we're going to do it. And if she is worth her weight in the grouse woods, we're going to breed her. And I wanted to have those tests to fall back on to because the breed is so spread out. And so they're the genetics are out there, but you, you can't go hunt with the guy who's in North Dakota or Wisconsin on a whim just to check out if his stud is worth it or if a female is worth it. And so you, you have to fall back on the genetics and what you can see out of the tests. So, yeah, I mean that you make a pretty good point to where, while it's advisable, you, you hope that not, if you're searching for a puppy that you can go link up with somebody out West, that's doing what you want to do with the dog. But let, let's just be honest, not everybody's schedule or, or means is, is conducive for something like that. You know, it's best practices. You, we can advise that all right. you want, but that's, that's not going to be truly attainable for everybody, uh, in the space. And so it, exactly. it's, it makes the testing results that are out there even more impactful, right? You know, it, it, this is a common question you get yep. asked from anybody entering in the bird dog world is, does the papers really matter? Do the test results really matter? And it's just like, well, I mean, you're nobody, well, I'm not going to say nobody. There's plenty of people that might claim otherwise. Uh, the way to look at it and the way I, I try and advise people is don't look at papers as an end all be all, you know? We've seen some great dogs that come from great testing results and and papers that I personally don't want to hunt with in the woods. Then conversely, I've been out in the woods with dogs that doesn't have their name on on a piece of paper anywhere in in the world, and I would load them up in my truck to begin with. But it's a starting point, right? When you're doing research, and then when you're doing when you're dealing with a breed as rare uh, or such a small pool as a large Munstie, it really gives you kind of feedback. I, I was at a Quail Forever banquet this past weekend and a guy was telling me he was getting his first dog and he was between a Picardy Spaniel and a Griff, right? And and so, you know, I'm like, all right, cool. You know, like everybody is like, hey man, whatever floats your boat, like I'm not here to critique or, or push you one way or the other. But then he fi finally eventually asked myself and another guy that was in the group, well, which one would you go with? And I'm like, Man, honestly, like I think that Picardy Spaniels looks wise are are more for me. But believe it or not, I'm gonna go with a Griff over that just because of the genetic pool. Like you can actually like weed out the type of litter and find the the breeders that fit your style more. So like there there's something to be said for the breeds that have this huge database and recommendations from from other people that have bought it from this breeder and that breeder and and all that context is king to me to where while I might appreciate the look or even the thought of another breed such as a Picardy Spaniel, the you're you're getting yourself a better starting point by going with something that's, you know, as proven or unproven in some lines as something like a Griff, if that makes any sense at all. It, it does. And I, I agree because I, I looked at Picardy's and the blue Picardy and it's it's hard. It's when you can't see a lot of dogs and you know like you said the guy's looking for his first dog it's yeah it's a you know that's flipping a quarter right there you know who knows how much background experience he has working dogs you're, you're better to go with a more well-established breed where you like you said you can pick a breeder that can put a dog that's going to fit what you do and how you hunt better than i mean i don't know how many Picardi litters are in the u.s per year two maybe i don't know 
I, I, I'm pretty sure there's only like five or six breeders in the right. U.S. last time I looked. And it's been a long time since I looked. But yeah, it, it's one of those. Now, granted, if you want that Picardy Spaniel or or that lesser, uh, the, the smaller gene pool of any yep. breed, you know, you, you can go with a number of breeds, not just Picardy. We're not picking on them in it right. at all. But you know, like just know that that's what you're getting yourself exactly. into where like you're going into it with at least a bigger question mark, so to speak. And then, you know, if you are wanting to, to breed your own dogs down the line, like just matching and pairing, like you're not going to be able to require such a high level of, of resume than what you're going to get in, in a smaller gene pool. You know, you just kind of have to work with what you have available to you. And, and again, all this to, to kind of come back into full swing of, of why testing matters yep. more so than like you just said, you, you and me, we've kind of talked on and off for, for a couple of years. We're kind of in line in the fact that our main priority is and always will be hunting much more than the testing, but the testing does matter when you start talking about improving breeds and creating standards overall. And that's why you do it. That's why I've done it in the past and I will continue to do it at least in some regards uh, but testing, it, it really is just a piece of information, a weeding out tool for potential puppy buyers, as well as breeders trying to hash out their own line and make yep. it up. Yeah, I, nothing to argue there. I'm all for it. <laughs> so, so now that we kind of got the buildup of, of why we even care about the testing and all that, let's jump into where you guys are at. Let, this is the fun of it. You've been preparing for the utility test all off season, right? You're, you're within a week and a half. So I guarantee you, you're at that point where you're just chomping to get it over with. Let's just get it over with and get into the hunting uh, woods. So let, let's start off with the sexy part of it. Let's go into the field steadiness. Where are we at on the field steadiness? How have you been preparing for it? And what have been some of the hiccups or successes so far? So I changed how I train completely with this particular doc we started i i won't even get into what i did with lottie but so w since we joined navda we've done uh blaine carter seminar the kyle huff seminar and a uh, dave jones from steady with style seminar okay i have uh quite a few friends who are very big into the steady with style training method so i started with that i found that uh, Darla, she did not respond to the steady with style pinch collar. She did not care. It did not stop her case. <laughs> she was breaking. It just, it didn't phase her. Um, and I had to kind of go back on things I had learned to figure out a way to change it. So I went to the e-collar e after uh, Kyle's seminar and that kind of flipped a switch for her because um, her first year was all just popping pigeons, letting her chase, you know, she was pointing and she was letting us get in front of her and kick around. But the moment that bird went, she was gone. So once we added the e-collar to it and we did some drills with e-collar and the woe and then transferred that over to pigeons, it really took hold for her. I would say her steadiness right now is about 96%. She very rarely is going to break before a release. Um, 
most of the times I've seen her in the last probably month and a half that she breaks before a release is on a fourth shot in the air. Um, and even then we did a session this past weekend and there was, it was steady to release a hundred percent of the time. So barring any complications, any given day. So, so you, you're confident in it. It's like you said, 97%. You're not, you're not saying that she's always rock solid steady every now and then she, you know, she's a dog and, and she's going to show you that like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to test the boundaries here and there. Have you noticed any kind of pattern as to when that once in a blue moon causes her to break? Is it the way a bird flushes? Is it how you kind of come in to flush the bird? Have you noticed any any kind of theories as to why she might potentially break? It's from what I've seen, it is the amount of shots. Um, she's used to um, our friends who help us. It's rare a bird is still flying after two shots. So that third shot, that fourth shot sometimes will make her go. But we started working that with, you know, multiple shots on pigeons, letting her just watch it fly away, using pigeons and chucker at the same time where she had to watch birds fly away. Or we even started where we'll shoot the chucker first, make her stand there, pop a pigeon, do some shots, let her watch that fly away, then send her for a retrieve. Um, and I think that's really helped to kind of take that away. And again, it's not a perfect, and I don't think I ever have it in me to get it to be perfect. Um, but she's well beyond what I thought she would be as far as her steadiness is. So it sounds like you've done a pretty good job of proofing it to where you have an idea of what might set her off. And, and to your credit, you know, if, if you can get her past the, the four shot barrage, so to speak, that's all you're going to have on the utility test anyway, right. uh, is, is four maximum. So if you're out there doing drills to where she's getting used to, to the four shots then you should be good on test. Part of the training, one of the guys we train with, uh, he's very successful, multiple VCs. What one of his sayings is I hear it all the time is my dog is never ever until it's never be ever before like it's ever going to again. And it's <laughs> if you don't put the dog in a situation, you can't make any corrections. The dog can't learn. So we've tried to, you know, throw in pigeons while the dog's on point to distract it, multiple shots, multiple birds. You know, we, we even, uh, a friend's dog was on point and I had pigeons in the bag and she said, throw a pigeon from alongside him. I threw it close enough where the wings were brushing up against his rib cage. As he, that bird flew right next to him. Nice. And he stayed steady. So it's, the dog doesn't know it has to do it until it's put in that situation and you can teach it. And that's, that's just it is I have a lot of buddies. I've helped a lot of people. I've participated in test days to where this is the case to where if you go out there and you're preparing for the test and in your rose colored glasses and you just set everything else up like you know sequence after sequence as it's supposed to happen hopefully that's how it goes on test day but in my experience and daily i know that you've you've had your hands in a lot of tests what can go wrong will go wrong on test day whether that's a running bird a gunner claims that they hit a bird that they didn't uh fill in the blank everybody listening to this it's tested can tell you some crazy off the wall story that if 
if you're not leaving the field like, man, I wish I prepared for that, you didn't have an honest and true testing experience because there's some things that you just can't really reproduce in a training field. It's such a an open-ended thing. You never know. I My friend, um, actually, who owns a stud for Darla, ran in utility last year and ended up with a 195 prize two because while running, the dog... I guess you could say took out a bird, but he was running on the wrong side of the wind. The bird went to flush and it jumped into his mouth. (laughs) So he grabbed it, perfect retrieve back to him, but he didn't point it. He technically (laughs) took it out. Yeah. There was no stop to flush or steadiness. Dude. Didn't even dip his head, just kept running and the bird was in his mouth. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where anything can happen. It, it, it really can, man. I, I've been out there to where I, I was out there. This was a year or two ago. I, I was just volunteering and one of the bird planners or helpers, for whatever reason, just had a brain fart. They're still out there doing the testing. And I guess he thought they called for birds. And so they're in the middle of the field sequence, dogs on point, And here comes a guy on a side by side going to plant birds right through the middle of the sequence. Uh, I mean, there's some stuff that you just truly can't make up. I mean, I, I I can give some of my own stories, but I've told them on the podcast before. So, so I might, might save that again and, and we, we can move on here because the field section, it sounds like, sounds like if you had to rank one out of 10 on your confidence level for the field steadiness, are, are we going nine? Are we going 10? Where are we at? Eight and a half on her, eight and a half her field. Okay. Steadiness. All right. So that that's pretty confident. I mean, that's it, going a week and a half out. That's a good place to be at for for yeah. confidence level and your steadiness. So let's go into the next piece that I think everybody uh, or most people at one time or another has had challenges or hiccups with uh, the dreaded duck search. How are, how are we looking on the duck search and and how's the progression gone on that for him? So again, change in how we train duck search. Uh, we did a lot of duck chases and getting her out there and just letting her have fun and chase the bird. Always letting her make, she never came in without a bird. It didn't matter if I had to get in a kayak and take her out there and take her downwind of a bird. You know, it, she did not come into shore without a bird. At this point though, I'm, it's probably the thing I'm most confident in. Okay. Um, I did, we did a duck search with her yesterday. She ranged out 140, 150 yards, east, west, north, south, going through reeds, going through lily pads. Uh, I think we normally would put out multiple birds. So there's always that success, but I wanted to make sure she was going to do it and not give up and come back and look for direction. So we put out, I think, only two birds where it was going to be really difficult for her to get based on the wind we had at the time. And she found that the one duck at just over 11 minutes. Okay. So that that's pretty solid with just two out there. And that's the first time you've whittled it down to just two? Uh, we did it. I did it uh, with three birds the prior weekend. The first bird she found in four and a half minutes. And the second bird on the resend she found in 21 minutes. Now, on this one that it took 11 minutes to get the bird, did you do a recent on that one? I let it go. I, I said, okay. oh, she, this is what I wanted to see. I know she'll resend. I know she'll go out and she will search. But I wanted to make sure 
she was going to do it without any distraction, without giving up. And she was going to fulfill that requirement of her. No, it makes sense. And it's killing me uh, as well as in the field steadiness, not asking a whole bunch of questions on how we actually train these dogs. Cause you, you, you listen to the show, you know where my head goes as get, goes at on all this, or, but we'll be here all day talking about that. Uh, yeah. but for clarification on the duck search, you, you, you touch on a couple main pieces when somebody's preparing for a duck search is making it progressive for the dog. You're not just starting out with one dog and, and, and making it too difficult right off the bat, wishing that, you know, Oh, well maybe we don't have to go through all this progression and step-by-step -step stuff. Like now you, nope. you do have to build it and the way you build it is, is what you just said. The dog has to be successful. It, you know, it set the dog up for success. And that is the name of the game in the duck search. And then there's a whole bunch of different nuances to where, depending on who you talk to, what, whether they uh, uh, ascribe to certain thought processes or not, such as like, I'm curious when you're preparing for this, are you sending with a gunfire every time or are you not doing any gunfire? Uh, it's sporadic. I, I know people who have prepared every time with a gunshot. And they ended up having to do a resend and it caused problems because there was no gunshot. Exactly. So I didn't, I knew that going in. So shoot. I mean, the beginning of the training, there was no gunshots. It, there was, it was sending on the duck and getting her to search out there without the gunshot. And then after we started with study with the blind training, then we had in the gunshot for the duck search as well. So that, that makes all the sense in the world. When you are putting your ducks out there, when you're when you're salt and peppering the swamp pond, whatever you're training on, are you tethering or shackling the ducks out there, or are you just pulling flight feathers and just letting letting chaos emerge? So at the beginning, it's chaos. It's pulling flight feathers and hoping the ducks cooperate. Um, you know, a lot of them, they're farm ducks, so they don't care about people. They like to come right into shore <laughs> to the boat launch. Hey, you got bread? <laughs> yeah. And it felt like uh, Darla's ducks never really wanted to cooperate. And then, you know, a buddy would do the same thing with his dog. And that duck would take his dog out there 250, 300 yards on a chase. But it, it's when you get to the point where you're not doing as many chases, uh, we have uh, duck socks that we put them in. And, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily have to pull flight feathers. You don't have to tape the bird. And you can just pop it out there it's just an easy way to deal with the duck when you're putting it out. Do, do you guys ever screw around with the uh, surveyor's tape and, and actually planting the ducks out there in specific locations? We, um, so we have a bad uh, turtle problem. So we don't, mm. we try not to put them out in the same spot too often. The turtles learn and then you send a dog out and there's no duck there. <laughs> Go figure. It, it's, it's, it's been a, Actually, this year it's been worse than normal. Really? All right. I think we lost four or five ducks in a week. Just feeding turtles. Weeks. <laughs> yeah, feeding the turtles. <laughs> Duck search um, training is feeding turtles. Our, our biggest thing is uh, making sure we play the wind right to help the dog to expand. So it will be to different spots. Uh, it just so happens there was like one corner of the lake where it just always the wind is great for it. So Darla loves to go to that corner because almost every time there was a duck. So we had to stop putting them there and getting her to expand to different places. But we don't use any tape. It's 
even at the end when we're done, if we still got ducks out there, my buddy's got a he's got a VC and his other dog is going to the invitational this year. So it's he hops in the kayak and he's like, I know I put it in this general area and the two dogs are swimming with them. And if it's there, they're going to find it. Now that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, again, I have 50 million questions that I could pick your brain on duck search just because you know, everybody's so different. This is one of the fun things about talking to NAVDA folk that, that test and, and get so heavily into it as everybody has a different approach to this, but it, uh, circling back to your confidence level on this, you said that this is the most confident you are. Are you a full 10 out of 10 confident on this? I am a 10 out of 10 confident on the dark search. Love it. Love it. All right. So I'll let you choose on the next one. Do you want to go drag or do you want to go the steady by blind sequence? We'll do drag to get it out of the way. All right. What, where are we at on the drag? So getting to the duck, grabbing the duck and leaving, she's you know great at that the retrieve has been and this is across the board her retrieves she does want to parade a little bit and the duck at the drag she doesn't want to drop it um but she does kind of want to curve around and parade so we've been working on that so my thought is if we get docked on the duck search it's going to be on the retrieve itself and not the actual aspect of getting to the duck and bringing the duck back. Um, we even started where <clears throat> we have friends who know the dog standing out there somewhat in sight when she, you know, when she picks up the duck. So <clears throat> she's going to go to them, you know, it's, it's her friends. She knows them. <laughs> and, you know, they know <clears throat> they've been through this. You don't say anything and just stand there. And eventually, you know, she comes back and, brings it back pretty well and we just got to clean up the retrieve a bit so it's not so much sending them it's not so much the picking up or even the holding it's just the return to you that the handoff so to speak correct and so that that's gonna rear it it could potentially rear its ugly head whether we're talking the drag if they find if he finds the duck on the duck search like you just talked about and even as we're gonna get to the water retrieve uh probably all three in the same boat. What about the retrieve in the field portion? Does he do the same thing in the field portion? So she is about, well, I'll say this. When she's hot, the feathers in the mouth make her want to spit it out. So she wants to get to you and spit it out. Um, So we've been working at that. Uh, It was better this last weekend. We did some, and she did. It was a hot day. I'm expecting it to be a hot day in August when we test. Uh, we had put out three birds for her. The two were really nice retrieves. And that last one, when she was hot, she spit it out. So it's probably something that'll get docked. Um, I'm hoping that it's not a consistent problem throughout all of the birds in the field. Because for those that don't know the scorecard, the way that the utility test is set up is like they can't give you the score on these sections as they wrap up because some of these scores go throughout the entire day and retrieve is one one of those obviously there's a retrieve in a whole bunch of different scenarios so you know it, i know a lot of people if they go to their first nav to test they're like well i wish they would just give me the score on the field it's like well they can't because there's certain things that are graded throughout the entirety of the day so yeah. And so right. the retrieve, you know, if if it's going to ding you in the field, you know, you can, while it can make it worse in other sections of the test, it can also improve the score throughout the t- rest of the day. Right. too. So don't like think of it as like, oh man, it's, it can only get worse from here. No, it's uh, they can redeem themselves as well. 
So if if you had to score your confidence level on the drag as a whole, where are we at on that? It sounds like maybe a six-ish, somewhere in there. Yeah, it's, it's like that, like six and a half, seven, be, just because of the retreat. Right. Because they are going to, you know, if there has to be a command in there to to get it to hand, it's, that's an immediate dot. Right. So that I, I feel like that is a strong possibility for that extra command. But it's important to note, and again, this is when, you know, the experience and testing comes in. If, well, I was about to say you, if your wife needs to give a command, make sure it counts. You know, it's like if you're going to give yes. a command, don't just give a half-hearted command. Like if you're going to get dinged, you know, get dinged in the chin, like do it right, get it out of the way, remind him like, nope, this is the expectation. And hopefully you don't have to give a command again later. You know, don't, don't try and say it under your breath. The judges are smart. They've judged thousands of, of handlers out there. They know all the tricks in the book. You know, they, they, they know all the tricks. Let's just leave it at that. So, uh, don't don't think you're trying to get you're not getting away with anything by you know being like here 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 like they 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 know exactly right. what you're doing. Uh, so let's go into the steady by blind sequence. And I know that technically the blind sequence and the water retrieve are two separate things, at least on the scorecard. Uh, I I kind of incorporate all of it. I incorporate the heel, the the steady by blind, and the water retrieve as all one section under mine. So let's let's just go through the whole thing and start with the heel to the blind to the water retrieve. Where what are we looking like on that? So her heels uh pretty pretty good. Um, maybe there might be an extra heel command during it. It's it's not a consistent thing with her, so it's it's hard to really judge it. Sometimes there's no commands. Sometimes there is. We've been really trying to crack down on it um, to make it so it's more consistent. And like you said, you know, if you're going to make that command, you make it once and you make it worth it. Make it count. So if if it does, you know, I I think there's a good possibility for a, a correction in there. But I do believe it's only going to be one correction. On the on the heel, are you a leash or no leash guy? We've always done it with the leash. I don't know what's going to be best for her. She doesn't. I almost feel like sometimes having a leash on her makes her want to go out a little bit farther. Whereas if you have it off, she pays more attention to you. But it's again, it's not consistent enough for me to go either way. It's we're probably this week going to be doing some work with her and really figure that out. What how we. Well, actually, no, it's not even really my choice. My wife is going to figure it out. She's going to decide what she wants to do. And then you're supporting her one way or the other. And if it was the wrong decision, you're you're keeping your mouth shut. <laughs> exactly. Whatever she wants. And I'll be honest. I mean, when it comes down to the heel aspect of things, my wife has uh, done the majority of the training for heel for both of the dogs. I won't even attempt to try and take any credit for that. She does the majority of it. And... She does a really good job with it. There, there. I've done it both ways. I've tested both my girls. I've done it both ways. Uh, against my better judgment, I put the leash on on Lucy the second time around. Uh, at the behest of talking at lunch with the judges, and one judge kind of got in my head. I was fully confident, like, no, nah, I don't need a leash. I don't need a leash. I never, never do it. And he was like, well, you know, the leash can only kind of help you. He kind of gave me the spiel of why he thinks the leash. And I'm like, you know what? At the time, it made sense. And I went with it. And then that same judge docked me because he said that he saw the leash get tight, which I still call bullshit. Because <laughs> 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 it's like, all right, you can dock my Munstie for a lot of things. 
the her, her poor heel is not one of them and and I'm I'm sorry her, that leash getting a little tight was uh did not happen in my opinion but you know there there's a handful of judges it's not just one judge so I, you know it's it, by committee they say that they saw it they they must have saw something but <laughs> well and it's also the the no stakes this year yeah that's different yeah so you know the first or first saw Gladi when I ran the heel section and it Never failed with all through training and everything, and in, even into the test. You get to that second to last stake, she wanted to go around it. <laughs> okay. Every time. I don't know why. I don't know what it was about that stake, but every time, it didn't matter where we were. And in the test, she did it. And I had to make that correction. <clears throat> um, you know, obviously, you get dinged on the heel to a three for that, but it was the only correction. And the way she did heel, the leash was the way to make that correction for her. Now, with no stakes, I don't know if a leash is really going to be the best thing for Darla with the test. I don't know. It's the 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 stakes thing. I, I've had a few listeners ask me when they first made that change. They wanted to hear my thoughts or opinion on it. And and I honestly, I never gave it, especially on the podcast, because I, I don't really have one. I, I kind of see both sides on it to uh, both arguments. There's few things in this world and and I'm a pretty open-minded guy. Obviously you've listened to the podcast for some time. Uh, The stakes just kind of, I saw both arguments for it with or without it. And so it didn't really make any difference to me. You know, that there's a part of me that I kind of enjoyed the stakes. It kind of added a, uh, another level to it in some some regards. Now I went to some tests that you may as well not have had stakes because they were freaking twenty yards apart, and you know uh, you could drive a freaking truck through the through the heel course. But when when you went to the one that actually set it up right, I kind of enjoyed it. You know the serpentine pattern; it gave you a clear thing as a viewer and and as a handler, just a clear objective. Like, did they go in or out of those stakes? Right, like. So I, I see both sides of it. So you'll have to let me know, you know, what what kind of difference that makes for you on your end because I, I'd be interested to hear that. But I haven't really heard one way or the other of people claiming it, it made a difference to them or not. But it is what it is. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know where I fall on it. I just am kind of like if the dog stays within four or five feet of me, I'm happy. Um, so if we can get her to stay a little bit tighter and I, th- I think probably because of no stakes, it might be better to go without a leash yeah. because if the dog does curve a little bit and you don't have that leash to get tight and the dog self-corrects, then are they right. going to dock you? But if you got that leash and it gets tight, they are going to dock you. And, and for those that are listening that maybe have never done NAVDA, they don't really know what we're talking about. If you haven't been able to uh, really kind of infer what, what we're talking about, used to NAVDA and the, the healing portion had these little stakes, just the 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 uh, temporary fence stakes that you get at Lowe's or Home Depot or Tractor Supply. They would set them up, you know, I don't know, three feet apart or so, you know, just wide enough for you or supposed to be just wide enough for you and your dog at heel to go through it. And then they would set these little gates so to speak, in kind of a serpentine pattern. And then you have a choice to either use or not use a leash uh, on the heel command. Uh, it's kind of up to your discretion now. On the invitational level, you don't get that choice. You you just don't use a leash. So, uh, all right. So you're through the heel. We're headed to the steady by blind. And so from 
for the study by blind sequence, again, talking to the people that may not be familiar with it is you have this little temporary makeshift blind that you as a handler, you walk up to and you have to, uh, woe your dog, sit your dog, stay your dog. What, whatever you want to do is you place your dog at the blind and the dog's not to move. And the owner or handler goes out of sight and they're going to fire off two shots and come back. And the entire time that dog is supposed to stay there. That's the steady by the blind sequence. So where are we at on that? Any issues with you on the steadiness by blind? So it's probably a really high percentage where she's really good. Um, I think since we've been training the study by the blind portion after the first couple of hiccups where she learned what she was supposed to do, I think the first two shots, she's never broke. Uh, when then you get to the, the four shots with the duck launch, I sent you the video. She she's excited. She bays when she hits the water. Uh, she has broke one time, and she stopped herself when her front feet hit that water. <laughs> she she knew. She like, hold up, wait. There's... Yeah, she's like, oh, I wasn't supposed to go. <clears throat> so there was no command correction uh, because she did it on her own. But otherwise, it, you know. Every other time, it's been really steady. And so the steadiness by blind, when you're going out of sight, there's no issues. And again, I'm trying to explain this. At the start of this, I didn't even think that there'd be somebody listening to this that may be not familiar with the NAVI utility test. But so after you get the steadiness by blind, the out of sight shooting, you come back and you're going to have the handler with a shotgun and one of the judges uh, with a shotgun. And there's going to be four shots. The judge is going to shoot once, then the handler, then the judge, then the handler. And then they launch a duck and you're supposed to send your dog and the dog is supposed to stay steady through all that. And then you get graded on the retrieve. And so you're saying you've never had an issue with the steadiness by blind sequence, which is kind of typical in a lot of ways, especially when you have such a a high level of confidence or success in the steadiness in the field. It, it kind of marries up a lot of the time. I'm not saying that that's true for all dogs, but there's, you know, steadiness is right. steadiness, right? And so you've only had one that comes to mind that she she broke early. So, yeah. So, and then the retrieve is, we already touched on the retrieve is, is it might be the handoff that gets you on that. So, yeah, she likes to come out of the water and drop and shake. <laughs> yep, it's 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 common practice there. Uh, have you have you tried the normal bag of tricks, so to speak, to where like you know maybe you're you're standing right on the edge of the water, or you turn your back, or 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 whatever. So what we have, I've, I've tried the standing right at the water and hold, and you you back up a couple of steps and. She still wanted to do it. So what we've started to do is, you know, my wife stands there. And as soon as she gets to the point where she's starting to walk out of the water, my wife says heel and turns around and takes a few steps. And she comes right into heel and my wife will stop. And then she can reach down and give her the drop command and she drops it before the shake. Um, the biggest issue I've noticed in that aspect of things, and this is something that I, I do the same thing and... You say drop before your hands under the bird. <laughs> right. So then it's like you're grasping trying to catch this bird when you made you gave the command and that that's a handler error and I know that and it's man is it I do it I 
it's such a stupid thing to get caught up on, but it's all part of it. I mean, this is the the thing that I appreciate about the utility test is the NA test. It, it it's its own thing. Like I I appreciate the NA test for what the NA test is. I personally think they should take the word test out of NA test and just let the natural ability like assessment be for what it is. Because I think so many people get caught up in the word test and they uh, pass the NA test. I'm gonna go breed now. It's just like. Well, hold up. Like it kind of loses its purpose almost if if you get ahead of yourself. But the utility test is like the first opportunity for the handler and dog. Like you're really working on. You guys are training. It's. I mean, in a lot of ways, the utility test is is an advanced like obedience test in a lot of ways. And so, like the what you do as a handler matters. Right. There's not many of those opportunities in the NA test for a handler to make or break. Uh, a segment with the dog there there's a couple mixed in there for sure but for the most part there is throughout the entire day of the utility test a handler can really screw up a dog's score by doing something such as what you just described so i'll say this not to get into a conversation about it but i think they should change the name of the natural ability test to the puppy test because too many people come (laughs) in there thinking they don't have to do any work with their dog right it is. It is. That's a whole nother episode in of itself that eventually I'm going to have to just pull pull the Band-Aid off because you're going to have haters oh, yeah. and lovers on that topic, no ma- matter which way you come at yeah. this. But we'll, we'll think, leave that topic um, when you for look another at utility day. Utility <laughs> tests, and like you said, the handlers can really do a lot of things to really lower a dog's score. And I did it with my first dog in the utility test. Uh, she was doing the parading with her retrieves and during the drag, it was one of the, you know, it's one of the last things. And I sent her on the drag and I turned to the judge that was the judge handling me. And I said, I know I'm going to get docked. I'm going to show you that she can retrieve the hand, but I'm going to have to make a command for it. And he said, well, you know, you'll get docked. I said, I'm going to get docked either way. Cause she's not going to bring it to the hand because there's three people standing here. And she's going to bring it to one of you. <laughs> right. So she did. She went to curl around me and show the judges. And I gave a quick ah, and she turned and presented. And I gave, you know, I gave her a drop command. She gave it to me. And the judge just kind of grinned. And he's like, she did exactly what you said she was going to do. And that is a point. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't and, get a point for calling it. <laughs> right. And it, it's, it's just one of those things. It's, it, it is obedience. It is. You have to know when you give command, your dog's going to do what you say. And if it's not, you got to give extra commands. That's a handler error and you're, that's on you. And and it's one of those, you know, I, I'm always reminded when I first got into it, you know, you, you get pieces of advice from all over the place. Everybody's kind of throwing stuff and drinking from fire hose and, and all that stuff. But it's, I remember like, before I ran my first one, Norm Prima, uh, senior judge, and he, he's down here in the Tennessee chapter. He uh, he he told me straight up. He was like, "Look, the the utility test is an obedience test." And at the time, I didn't know what he meant by that. But now, fast forward a handful of years, done a few tests. Obviously, I talk about it ad nauseum, week in, week out. I know what he means by it. everything that we do on the utility test in way, some way, shape or form, at least to be successful has obedience in it. And that, that's, you know, all that stuff goes into it throughout the entire, entire day, the cooperation and all all the, all of that stuff, uh, matters. And so if you really focus on the, the, 
the actual processes and and sticking to the standard and and the boundaries and all that stuff that's that's what makes or breaks a lot of people because you you and I both have seen plenty of people with just amazing dogs go out there and either no prize or prize three and really the only thing that's kind of separating them into that next tier and getting that score that they really wanted was the obedience you know it's I, I know a couple people that heel has done them in like it just it's it's sad but they nail everything get fours across the board and then heel brings them down to a prize three and it's like wow you had a prize one dog and heel got you a prize three it's i mean it happens all the time exactly yeah it's it, obedience is such a huge aspect of this test and i don't i think a lot of people kind of skip over that and like you said the heel is kind of downplayed within the NAVDA world until you start talking to judges and they tell you the same thing. Yeah, guy had all fours and then got a one in heel or got a two yeah. in heel and, you know, dogs that no prize because of heel. And when you talk to the handlers, when did you start working on heel? Oh, two weeks before the test. <laughs> right. And you're like, well, it's an aspect of the test. It, it, it shouldn't be taken lightly, but because of so many th people have so many problems with other aspects, steadiness, dog search, the retrieve itself that they will gloss over other things. Well, that and even the drag, you know, they never practice yeah. a retrieve for their dog out of sight of the handler. And that's kind of the whole purpose of the drag is you got to think, you know, it, the, the, the NA assessment puppy test, as we just renamed it, <laughs> uh, they, they get graded on their nose on their tracking ability at that level. They're graded on their nose and, and all kinds of stuff throughout the entire test day of utility tests. We're not doing the drag on whether they can follow a drag or not. They're grading the dog on what do they do in the presence of yep. game outside of the view of the handler. And and you talk exactly. to these judges. That's my favorite story to ask judges that have been doing it for a while. Or what are some of the craziest drag stories you've seen? And you get all kinds of answers of them tossing the duck around, throwing it, burying it, peeing on it, just all kinds of stuff, picking it up, dropping it, then going back without the duck. And meanwhile, they had it in their in their head. And so it, it's it's just one of those things. There's a there's a lot of things that can go wrong on the utility test. And that's why, you know, it's, uh, man, it's a, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. It's a long day, especially if you're not used to it. And, and yes, it dogs is. that you go out and you train one thing at a time and you go right back in a dog that's not used to being out there in the test or, or in the car for a little bit, getting a little bit of action back in the car, getting a little bit of action back in the yep. car. There, there's a lot of things that can take the dog out of it. And if you don't prepare for those situations you you might be in for a long day oh yeah and it's even in that like our test is at the end of august it's it, it can be extremely hot in michigan uh, a couple of years ago we had a couple dogs overheat and we go out to our training days and everybody's fighting to get those early spots get out there at 8 30 9 o'clock in the morning before it gets hot and the dogs aren't conditioned to run in the heat and you don't get to pick your spot in the test you could be the puppy that's number 10 you could be the last dog in the utility if your dog can't run in the heat you're gonna have some problems so it's better i've we've been trying to do more picking those later afternoon spots let the dog get accustomed to the heat let her run more make sure she can run that 30 minutes make sure she's gonna be okay and you know 
in a lot of aspects, it's less obedience and more stamina and conditioning and people need to run their dogs. They've got dogs got to be ready for what is going to be asked of them in the test. Um, absolutely true. And, and you, you took the word right out of my mouth is, is conditioning resolves and, and prepares for a lot of that stuff. And, and to be perfectly honest, you should be focused on that anyway. If you're preparing your dog for a utility test to become a quality hunting dog, then you should be looking to hunt the dog and it's pretty much hunting season. So if you're not conditioning, you're behind, behind the curveball there. And, uh, so oh, yeah. real quick, let's circle back. Let's hit the the whole blind sequence. Like I said, I know they're different uh, things on the scorecard, but I kind of group them all together in one. So confidence level, one out of 10, where are we at on the entire heel through water retrieve sequence? I am looking that I expect her to probably have majority of fours in the study by blinds portion, all encompassed. So I'm pretty confident. I would say like, yeah, an eight and a half, nine. All right, cool. I'll put you down for a nine out of 10. And I'm only going to use these to throw back in your face after the test yep. day. So that's what I think. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting. Uh, now, after the test day is, is we're going to wrap this one up, obviously, the the precursor, the before, so to speak. Uh, and we're, we're going to circle back and do the after. But now I want your wife on the, the after because I want to hear the full recap on the handler judge sequence. If she wants to come on here and kind of give the the story and especially if there's uh, some uh, questionable calls throughout the day, I want to hear from from her how she took it in the moment and some of her decision making. I will do my best. I can't promise she's willing to come on. I tried to get her on for this one. She said no. <laughs> I will bare minimum have her write down some things so that I have something to report back from the handler. Well, you, you have to tell her that this part is staying in the original before episode. It's not getting cut out. So whether she comes on or not, everybody's going to know that like I'm requesting her to come on. So she's going to let down the whole <laughs> world of listeners here. All right. <laughs> I will let her know. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dell, I enjoyed it. Uh, we won't spend too much longer wrapping this up because we're going to be right back at it here in a week and a half or so doing the doing the after episode. Yep. But uh, I enjoyed it and uh, look forward to hearing the results and uh, the excitement from your wife here soon. All right. All right. Thanks, bud. All right. Thanks a lot, Nick. Why does it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side -side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wood grain on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everybody. This episode was presented by Standing Stone Supply, DT Systems, Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Hope you kind of enjoyed hearing Dale's perspective and kind of predictions and just uh, kind of just his feelings and and, uh, thoughts going into the utility test here soon. I thought it would be interesting to get somebody's take going into the test, and then we can contrast that and measure it against how they actually performed on the test. Because anybody that's that's never run in a test, uh, you, you may be asking yourself, like, well, what's the big deal? Why is it such... Uh, such an emotional experience. A lot of people, you know, kind of get uh, put a lot of pressure on themselves. Maybe they get a lot of high anxiety, what have you. And, and it all comes from a point of you just care. I mean, why would you sign up and and go through the effort and preparation if you didn't really care? So it's all coming from a good place. But everybody responds different. I mean, heck, everybody used to respond back in school and college to to tests and exams completely different then too. So there's really no difference when you kind of come into the dog world and you just add in the emotions and how much you, you know, we care about our dogs and we want them to see them uh, be successful. Uh, it, it can induce a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. And so I thought it'd be fun to kind of uh, get Dale on here, just talk about where they're at and his predictions and, and how comfortable he is. And I appreciate him coming on and, and willing to uh, put himself up for uh, scrutiny uh, and and just kind of people's thoughts and emotions going into or how they perceive it in, in relation to how he's actually going to perform. So uh, hold on tight. We'll, we'll be back here in a few days and you'll get to hear the after effect of the test. Did, were they successful? How accurate was Dale's predictions? How did his wife, Natalie, uh, what was some of her thoughts and uh, reactions and, and stuff like that? So uh, stay tuned for that. If you have any interest in that, hit subscribe so you won't miss that. It'll be out here in a couple days. But with all that, um, hunting season has kicked off. I recently just got back from my first kind of uh, swing through. I did my Western Loop. I did Colorado with ptarmigan and blue grouse, and then we went up to Idaho and did uh, got to experience chucker hunting finally, as well as some huns and blue grouse and 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 quite a, a variety of species up in Idaho. And uh, both trips went great. Both trips were completely different in in why I really enjoyed them and just the hunting style uh, overall. But I'll tell you what, it's you, you, you start off in Colorado hunting ptarmigan, then you go chucker hunting. It's uh, you got to be in shape for that. You, you definitely do. But if, if you uh, I'm assuming if, if you want to hear this or hear more about that trip and, and those experiences, stay tuned. Uh, there'll be more coming out on those trips. Uh, in the weeks coming. So with all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping this up. If you're in the mood for to watch anything, I would suggest I've been getting a lot of good feedback from uh, from people that watch the gun fitting 
uh, video that I put up on YouTube recently. So if you haven't checked that out and you have any interest in kind of learning more about the gun fitting process, as well as just some kind of basic uh, mounting and, and form advice from Dell Whitman, then by all means, go check that out. The link is in the show notes to our YouTube channel and hit follow while you're there. And uh, I appreciate it. So that being said, I hope everybody's had uh, a, as an enjoyable kickoff to the hunting season as I have. And uh, stay tuned for the after results for the utility test for Dale and Natalie. And uh, thanks for hitting download and play as always, guys. Thanks. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.